We come to the uh, end of our series on renovate, on uh, how the Holy Spirit works to uh, bring about a willingness on our part and an ability on our part to have a carefully cultivated heart. As we finish up this series, today we want to talk about what's the way forward. It's not just an issue of demolition, it's not just tearing things down, but it's building things for the destiny and the uh, the fulfillment of the promises that God has for your life. And so there's there's a way forward. And as we finish up this idea of the way forward, there's it, really there's really two things that are always at play here. The one is that the scripture says that God is the one who restores our soul. And then our response is that we do not conform to this world, but rather we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. So the restoration of soul and your responsibility to that restoration is renewing the mind, being transformed, not being conformed. In Psalm 23... Verse four, this very, you know, punchy statement, he restores my soul. But then it, 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 it says, he leads me in the right paths for his name's sake. So the restoration of the soul and his leadership, the Holy Spirit's leadership and leadership into the right paths and doing it for his name's sake is is a is a succinct statement of the work of the Holy Spirit. From the beginning to the end of the Bible, your deliverance, my deliverance, comes from a personal relationship. He's the leader, I'm the follower. It's established by God in my life and in your life by his gracious love and his power. The restoration of the soul is by the presence and the power of God in our life in the correct way, in the right way. This has always been his his agenda to restore our souls. And we've been talking so much, we've been talking about the heart. It's important to talk about the soul as well. Sometimes these are interchangeable things. Uh, I think the best way to look at it is uh, your spirit, in the scripture, uh, comes from the idea of wind. And the idea that your spirit, in a way, is the motivation, inspiration of your life. So you can look at it as the wind in your sails. Uh, when when life is really going in a way that feels inspired and anointed, it's like you have wind in your sails. You're not rowing against the current, but you you just sense that. The wind is at your back and you just put up your sails. That's the idea of your spirit is that place where either there's a sense of wind in your sails or there's a sense of deflation. Soul is is in a way the the seat of personality. Um, It's what in some ways makes you uniquely you. And so the soul in many ways is talking about the essence of your being. And then the heart, some people confusingly, uh, in a confused way, believe the heart's just emotions, but the scripture never says that. Out of the heart flows 
the springs of your life. So the heart is the control center of your being. So in a way, what we're looking at is if you have a well-kept heart, then your essence, your personality, your true self, your soul, is being properly ordered under God and in harmony with reality. You're in touch with reality and you're dependent on and, and in the right alignment with God. And, and when, the, when the heart and soul are in right alignment, ordered under God, in harmony with reality, the outcome will be that, that this person is prepared for anything, capable of responding to the situations of life in ways that are good and right. That's, I mean, listen, he restores my soul by leading me in paths, right paths for his name's sake, or I can tell that my soul is restored because I'm willing to be led and I'm willing to take those right paths. So wherever you see yourself deviating from the path, wherever you see yourself falling apart, losing the wind in your sail, usually that's telling you that that soul and heart are not under God properly or not in harmony with reality. Now, one of the key things, and and um, if you've read or uh, soul care, if you heard um, Rob's teaching about the soul, is that he's constantly talking about the 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 you know, the essential element of living out of your identity. It's interesting, your soul is not your identity. It's, it's not the basis of your identity. Your identity is actually from your spirit. It's in your spirit, in union with Christ. And so you have a, if you are in Christ, you have an unconditional, unchanging identity. Whether you messed up today or you did great today, you're still a well-loved child of the Father. You are a joint heir with Jesus. You are chosen and, and sealed with the Holy Spirit. You have worth and value because of your identity. So part of the issue is sometimes when you lose the wind in your sail, it's because you've, you've failed to access and believe and trust in this given identity that comes out of relationship with the Father through your faith in the Son and by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. But but you see, a lot of us, we, we don't really understand how our soul works. There's a lot of unconscious action when it comes to the soul. And, and I think Dallas Willard puts it really well when he says, the soul is that aspect of your whole being that, that takes all the things that are happening in your life, integrates them, into, you know, from thoughts to feelings to choices. But, but it's your soul. When the, when the soul is fully involved, it enliv enlivens everything. It doesn't deaden everything. It enlivens everything in the, in the true dimensions of who you are as a person. One way to put it is the soul is the life center of your being. Again. It's the, it's the play, in a way, it's that idea of essence, who you really are. Um, and and here, we, here we realize something that, you know, there's so many people that are doing self-help books and all of these things to better themselves. But God is the only restorer of the soul. 
Uh, when you walk in personal relationship, he leads me in right past. When we walk in personal relationship with him and he ta- we take his word as our rule of life and we let that come into our hearts and say, this is, this is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And that word becomes a living principle anointed and illuminated by the Holy Spirit. And what happens is the work of the Spirit and the work of the Word quicken and restores the soul. Because it restores the connection in our spirit, it restores the connection to the source of true identity, connection to and union with the Holy Spirit. That can never happen. The real restoration of soul can never happen without the personal presence of the Holy Spirit of God in our heart and his actions being responded to. I mean, there are times when we are, we are easily willing. We, we will abandon ourselves to God. And there are other times where it's not so easy. Sometimes a good prayer to pray when it's not so easy is, Lord, I am willing to be made willing to truly be led and to follow you. I mean, the scriptures are, are replete in talking about the evils of our pride that keep us from have, having restoration of our souls. When I'm at the center of my soul, that means I'm at the center of my being, and I then become my only source. So the inadequacy of human effort to restore our souls is assumed throughout the Bible. I love, I love what the psalmist said, the word of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. It doesn't say the soul converts itself. It says the word of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. So this, this word of God, even, even in terms of the law, is given as a place of connection. We do not come into the covenantal bond with God on the basis of the law. We cannot. We cannot keep the law in such a way as to deserve the inner circle of the love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But when we receive that love through faith in what Christ has done, then we come into a covenant bond. We come into a covenant relationship his his the word in the old testament is his steadfast love his loving kindness this is inside the circle of our covenant our union with god through christ inside that is this incredible covenantal love and and when he's leading you on the right path he's leading you in his covenantal love for you, his, his unchanging love. The psalmist said, your loving kindness is better than life. Um, your steadfast love endures forever. So, so the idea in so many ways is to say, I've got to renounce my pride, renounce my own self-salvation strategies, and I have to lean in to the love that now holds me in covenant, in union with Christ and with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Now, that place of union is 
is settled. It's secure. But the place of experiencing that leadership, experiencing that love, is as we align ourselves and submit ourselves to the very word of God. See, what happens otherwise in our pride of trying to restore our own souls or trying to restore a sense of, of worth, a sense of security, a sense of, of, of lovableness even, is that we actually distance ourselves from God. The Lord is far from the prideful, the haughty, those who operate in their own strength, in their own power. He is far from them. He distances himself from that. But he draws near to the humble. He draws near to the broken and the contrite. This is why even if you have areas in your life that you're the most ashamed of, or there are areas where you feel so weak and you feel so failing, the key isn't try to try to will yourself to be better. The key is to be honest and truthful and open with God because he delights in your humility and he will draw near to your brokenness. Even if it's a, if it's a damaging addiction, even if it's a, a place that others might spurn you or reject you, God will not. This is the bonds of his covenant love that he has wrapped his arms around you and will not let go. But he's calling you to be honest and humble and broken because you are broken in reality. So what happens though if I, if I choose, however, to fix my own soul? Well, the person who does not live honestly and interactively with God, then the body the feelings of the body, the drives of the body, the appetites of the body. Remember, that's one of the six aspects of being a human being is the body interacts with the material world. The body, though, then becomes the primary of pleasure, area of pleasure, but it also becomes the primary source of terror, torture, and even death. I mean, there is a certainty that to live by your flesh, to live to indulge the flesh, to, to in some way satisfy or gratify the flesh, to live in that way, Paul says, is death. And the end is death. See, rather, rather than restoring the soul, we do greater damage to the soul by living according to our bodies. Again, Dallas Willard, I, I love the way he puts this because I think this is such a temptation in this day and age. He said, free love, as it is euphemistically but falsely called, along with the various forms of perversion. Now, you see, most of these things, no longer do people call perversion. They just call them alternative or normal ways of living. But all of these are an extension of body worship. Sensuality cannot be satisfied. That is partly because the effect of engaging in the practices of sensuality is to actually deaden feeling which awakens the desperate need simply to feel, to feel something. See, one of the reasons why, why we, we, we can and have to like abandon ourselves and, and give ourselves passionately to God is that we have an incredible capacity for passion. Uh, the scriptures are really full, full of these descriptors. Jeremiah was 
incredibly, even almost vulgarly descriptive of the passions, which are spiritual passions. But if you take that spiritual capacity that you have for passion and you throw it into something that is 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 uh, just fleshly or or a sensual, as Willard is saying, what you do is you deaden the flesh. You deaden your capacity to feel. And, and, and by deadening, deadening that, it makes you want to feel even more. And so it, it, it develops a downward cycle of, I have to feel, but I've deadened myself to being able to feel. But now I will go to whatever links to feel something. And here's what Willard says, we have to have feeling. You can't live this life without feeling. It needs to be deep and sustained. But if we're not living the great drama of goodness in God's kingdom, sensuality through the body is all that's left. And that's by by rejecting God, by rejecting uh aiming or directing our spiritual passion, our passions towards God, we then go to sensuality. And if anybody gets in the way in our culture, our society, with, with what I believe my sensuality is and what it should be, what, how it should be fulfilled, heaven help the person that gets in the way. Because having, having rejected or dismissed the goodness of God as the direction for my, my, my capacity for spiritual passion, then the sensuality through the body is all that is left. And so this drive for self-gratification, Willard says, opens us up to a life where nothing is forbidden. One can do whatever one can get away with. Why is replaced with why not? And because this is what these sensuality gods want, total license, God abandons. In other words, God, the worst, the worst descriptor of God's wrath is he lets you do what you want to do. He stops contending with you. When God abandons them, in the scripture it says, to a worthless mind. So I know I'm harping on this a little bit, but in order to restore our souls, we have to move away from worthless minds. And in order to do that, we must be willing to be renewed from a worthless mind. So uh, what does Romans 12, 1, uh, 12, 1 and 2 say? Well, it says body worship is not, is not sensible. It may be sensual, but it's not sensible. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, on the basis of God's mercy to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. So instead of body worship, the body becomes a sacrifice, a living sacrifice to worship God. And then it says, do not be conformed to this age, but transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. But there's a willingness to have our minds renewed. So, again, this is Dallas Willard. It's really good. He says, as we first turned away from God in our thoughts, so it is in our thoughts that, we, that the first movements toward the renovation of the heart occur. 
thoughts are the place where we can and must begin to change. It's in our thoughts that the light of God first begins to move upon us through the word of Christ, being renewed in our minds, our thoughts. It's in our thoughts that the Holy Spirit begins to direct our will. Our thoughts control our will, in other words, to more and more thoughts that can provide the basis for choosing to realign ourselves with God and his way. Again, you have an incredible capacity for spiritual passion, but it but you only have a finite capacity. You don't have infinite capacity. You cannot be passionate about everything. And so where your thoughts discern and decide, this is what I need to be passionate about. This is what matters. This is what has weight. You see, it's more than just cognitive thought. It's, it's, it's heart, mind, and soul kind of thoughts. So, we as humans have this, in a way, our, our biggest freedom, our ultimate freedom is that we decide where we will spend our passion. We decide what our thoughts will be directed towards. We weight those thoughts. We say, this is what matters. This is, you know, we're not totally free. There's a problem of, of having lived so long in our sins and our trespasses, but we have this ability, even, even a, an unregenerate person who has, never, who has not uh, experienced the new birth in the Holy Spirit, even an unregenerate person has a freedom about where they're going to direct their thoughts and what thoughts they're going to, to value. And, and so we by our thoughts directed towards God, our passion, our our, our spiritual capacity for passion directed towards God. And as we make moves towards him, you, you will see that he knows you and he knows you deeply in your heart. And he will, as you move in, in thought towards him and you direct your passion towards him, he will make himself known to you. Now, I like understanding things and, and I like, trying to understand, okay, what, what is meant by thoughts then in the scripture? If, if I'm renewing my mind, I'm, I'm, I'm understanding the thoughts that I need to have in order to be all in and see that progress that I want to make. Well, thoughts are everything that you're conscious of. You know, it's the, all the ways in which we, we are aware, acknowledging things. This includes memories, perceptions, beliefs. I mean, sometimes we say a word like, you know, I, I, I was just thinking of you. Sometimes I'll think of someone and I'll text them. Hey, I was just praying for you. I was just thinking of you. Or, or if, if there's something in the future, you start thinking, okay, I have this meeting tomorrow. Those are thoughts. This is, this is one of the thoughts are the most basic source of your life. In many ways, it's, it's your thoughts and how your thoughts are structured that orient everything you do. And it's your thoughts that evoke the feelings that frame your world. People often say to me, I can't change my feelings. And I say, but if you understand, every feeling is produced by a thought. It's, it's the way you're conscious of something. It's the way you frame something. It's the way you value something that produces the feeling. And it's, and it's the thought with the feeling that always are the motivation for our actions. You can't 
evoke thoughts by feeling a certain way, but you can evoke and to some degree control feelings by directing your thoughts. And it's almost, you know, in some ways you can become more consciously in control by realizing my thoughts are producing feelings. Every feeling that I experience has come from a thought. But isn't it interesting that sometimes all you have to do is hear a song or hear something and immediately memories come back. And then the, the memories will be bring back feelings. Like yesterday, uh, Lisa and I were somewhere and they were playing um, 70s disco music. And, imme- I, and, and immediately I, I started having memories from college and, and those years when disco was, was so big. And it was funny as that song was playing, I was kind of enjoying it. And then I, then I suddenly had it, I, I remembered, that's all they played for a while there. I was like, I hated that stuff. And was, it's so funny that to just hear it in isolation kind of was enjoyable. But to think about how every song was some disco song after song, I was like, oh, that was horrible. And so, it, you know, these memories, these perceptions, these, these you know, awarenesses, that's, that's where your feelings are coming from. And because so many of your memories and perceptions and and so many of your thoughts and, and the way you frame things are framed with lies, it's destructive. And so we have to get at these deeper things so that you can actually begin to see the feelings change. If, you're, if your feelings are based, if your thoughts are based on lies, then your feelings are based on those lies. So we actually have tremendous, much more power than we think, but it's power over how we direct our thoughts, power over how we frame our thoughts, how we weight our thoughts. And, and this can bring about incredible assistance when you want to direct or control your feelings. And the, the, the interesting thing is that in many ways, your will is being controlled by the thoughts that produce the feelings much more than just choices. So the motivation for the choices is usually coming from the thoughts that have produced feelings. And so instead of just trying to change your feelings, you need to ask the question, where are these thoughts coming from? And so what the whole Bible is about is to get a vision of God. Um, listen to this. This is a, an old preacher, Thomas Watson, Amazing writer. The first fruit of love is the musing of the mind upon God. He who is in love, his thoughts are ever upon the object. He who loves God is ravished and transported with the contemplation of God. When I awake, I am still with thee, the psalmist said. God is the treasure, and where the treasure is, there is the heart. By this we may test our love to God. What are our thoughts most upon? Can we say we are ravished with delight when we think on God? Have our thoughts got wings? Are they fled aloft? Do we contemplate Christ and his glory? How far are they from being lovers of God who scarcely ever think of God? God is not in all his thoughts, Psalm 10 says. A sinner crowds God 
out of his thoughts. He never thinks of God unless with horror as the prisoner thinks of the judge. So clearly, you see, our thoughts about God, our vision of God, is either a source of life or not. And so this this contemplation and, and, and what frames your vision of God will orient everything you do. And that orientation then will evoke feelings. And those feelings of a true orientation, passion invested in God will frame your world in such a way that you will be, you will be having a source of love, of peace, of joy. You'll have a source of safety and security, no matter what's happening around you, because, because your thoughts about God are framing how you're relating to everything that happens. One person said it this way, you can either see your, your you can either see your circumstances through your vision of God, or you can see God through your circumstances. See, if your vision of God is, is in a way the spectacles through which you're seeing what's happening in your life, then you can say things like this. I know that all things work together for good for me. I know that my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches. I know that I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. I know that the Lord is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. See, I'm seeing my circumstances through my vision of God, framed by my meeting him in his word, experiencing him in the presence and the power of his Holy Spirit. And then the circumstances are never bigger than Jesus. My pain is never more real than Jesus is. But if I, if I turn it the other way, and I'm looking at God through the lenses of my circumstances, then my circumstances are determining my vision of God. And when that happens, God no longer become, no, is no longer my treasure, no longer my source, no longer my center. He's rather a God who's failing me or a God in my mind that I've failed because somehow I haven't lived up to and haven't deserved to have the blessings that I need. It is a choice here. And so as humbly as we can, as, as honestly as we can, we can go to God and say, Lord, I'm having trouble seeing you. Lord, I'm having trouble viewing my circumstances through a, a glorious vision of you. This was one of the things that that book uh, by J.B. Phillips, Your God is Too Small, it's, it, it's, it, it really convicted me when I was a young pastor. It wasn't just that my God was too small to meet my needs, but the vision I had of God was too small to worship him when the circumstances didn't go the way I wanted them to go. I love, I love what Watson says here. Uh, the first fruit of love is the musing of the mind upon God. He who is in love, his thoughts are ever upon the object. He who loves God is ravished and transported with the contemplation of God. When I am awake, I am still with thee. God is the treasure and where the treasure is, 
there is the heart. And it, it's okay. He knows, he knows that you have a divided heart. Be honest with him. He knows that, that you treasure him, but you also have other things that are competing with him as your treasure. He delights when you're honest. He draws near to you in your brokenness. You're not the restorer of your soul. Only God can restore your soul. But you are the one responsible for renewing your mind. And in this case, it, it becomes a thing where it says, I take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I'll, I'll let no other thoughts rise up in opposition that God is my treasure.